0: So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the house none of the men of the house was there in the house she caught him by his garment saying lie with me but he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Thanks Linda. To turn this off. More good storytelling here. Happening. Before we jump into that, um, just uh, wanted to give a brief update on our new location search. We've, we've been talking about this for a few months now, um, uh, looking for a place where we can meet in the morning where we have a little more space to, to spread out a little bit. Um, so we have uh, a small team of folks that are, have been working on this, collecting, uh, doing research, following up with places. We've identified a handful of potential locations and we're kind of working through the process. These things don't normally work very quickly. And as we always say, as we've said from the day that we started meeting, we're, we've never been in a hurry, so we're not like in a hurry, 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 but we are pressing forward, or moving forward, and so we want to invite you over these, over these summer months as we kind of get into the uh, nitty-gritty of nailing, some, nailing something down to pray for God to provide the right place for us. Um, I assume many of you have been praying. We've been praying for God to provide, but provision comes from the hand of God, and so we want to invite you to do that sort of intentionally and rhythmically a little bit over the, the course of the summer. So what we'd like to do is just pick a day, invite you to pick a day during the week, two, two days or five days or seven days and stop at noon. <laughs> set your alarm, set a time, stop at noon and just pray that God would provide. Spend two minutes, five minutes, 40 minutes, whatever you have available, <laughs> um, to pray that God would provide and knowing that others around the church are, are doing that as well. So we just wanna invite you to pick at least one day a week, stop and pray as we go through this summer that God would provide that for, for us as a congregation. So um, if you have more questions, comments, thoughts, you can talk to me or Lim, about that. Um, let's pray and then we'll talk about Joseph. Father, we ask now that as we uh, look into your word that you would do for uh, us what we cannot do for ourselves, Uh, that is to see you clearly, uh, to understand uh, things that are discerned spiritually, that you would open the eyes of our hearts and the eyes of our minds, give us uh, illumination uh, that we might know uh, your grace and your comfort and your presence. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. There's a a famous little scene in The Little Mermaid where she's holding a little flower and she's pulling off the petals. You Remember this? And she says, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And if I was writing a, a Disney movie for Joseph, I would put that scene in right about now. Not for Joseph and Potiphar's wife, but for Joseph and God. Right? If you're Joseph remember how this story has unfolded? You're the favored son. and By the end of the chapter, you found yourself sold into Egypt. Now you're the favored slave. By the end of this chapter, you're in prison. And then, then now at the end of the chapter, you're back in favor again. And this is, Joseph has experienced over these last couple of chapters, a lot of sort of inconsistency. it's like a whiplash. It sort of feels like God's favor whiplash, right? He's like, things are going well, things are going terrible. Things are going well, things are going terrible. And he starts in a dark place in this chapter, but he ends in an even darker place, right? He's a slave in someone's house, but now he's in prison. He's like, you see this like downward descent that he's been on, and it's kind of like this roller coaster ride where he's up and down and up and down and up and down, and he's, I got to imagine that in a lot of these moments, he's kind of looking up at heaven and saying like, what, what, are are you for me or not? Are you helping me or not? Are you giving me success or are you not, right? He's back and forth and back and forth. And I wonder how many of us play a similar game with God from day to day, from week to week, right? We have these moments of where things are going well and it f- feels like we have the favor of God on us. We're succeeding. Things that we're touching are going well. And then we have these moments where things are bad and sad and we feel alone and frustrated and we're not getting the results that we expected, and God's blessing seems inconsistent at best, or maybe for some of you, non-existent at all. And we wonder, like, is God for us? We have situations in our life that we just literally cannot explain why they are the way they are or how they could possibly work out for good. Because like, there's, there's small things, right? Like you, you lost your keys or it like, rained on your parade or your graduation party. You're stuck in traffic. Like those things you can like figure out how, oh, I was stuck in traffic and so I avoided this accident and God worked it out for good. And you kind of do the calculus to make a reason why this bad thing that happened turned out for good. But then there's the big things like war in Ukraine. And you're like, how can that turn out for good? Or cancer or divorce? And these big, heavy kind of down things confront our faith. Right, our faith in God and in his goodness. And if you're sold by your brothers into slavery <laughs> and then you're cast down into the prison and you go down, 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 at some point you have to look at God and say, what's, what's up? <laughs> what's going on here? And I suspect that for many of you having probably heard this story before, maybe even in children's books, that you've heard this story taught as a story about temptation and integrity, and it's not not about that, as that's a key plot point in the overall story, but there's something, um, there's something bigger going on here, because the, the big idea of resist temptation is not a good enough big idea for this story. One reason is because it doesn't actually work out for Joseph, right? <laughs> and so if that's the big, if the, if the biggest thing that I have to say from this passage is resist temptation didn't work out for him so why would you try it anyway right there has to be something different and even though this is sort of a lurid story we I don't want you to miss the forest of the Joseph story for the trees like there's sort of a deeper magic happening in this passage I said that God this story is about God the whole story of Joseph is about God working in broken places fulfilling his promise in surprising ways. I'll continue to say that every week, right? God working in broken places to fulfill his promise in surprising ways. And this particular episode in the story is about God's presence in the darkest of those moments in the story, in the most confusing of times where God is doing his secret work in ways that sort of evade and confound and avoid our understanding of them. And so the story today, what I want you to see in this story is this invitation to trust God when really there seems to be no immediate reason to do so. <laughs> right? That's kind of part of the point here. In places that I know many of you are in or have been or will be in, places of darkness and loneliness and confusion and frustration and concern about how whatever is happening to me right now could possibly work out for something good. Before I jump into that, I want to, Zoom out real quick on the story of Joseph, um, and I brought some slides, which will make some people laugh. Um, <laughs> Genesis 37 to 50 is a lot of material. Okay, this is 14 chapters. There's a lot of verses. I think I told you when I first kicked off this series, reading through it, like I got confused repeatedly about where I was in the story and where different things and the order that things happen. And so I worked hard to try and, at least for one, in one way, cut it down into sections that are like manageable. And to use language that we know, I've broken it down into five seasons, right? Season one, season two, we're we're comfortable with seasons and episodes. We have seasons, seasons have episodes, we know all about this, right? So I've broken the whole story, the whole series of Joseph, as it were, into five seasons. Um, And each season has a few sermons in it. So three in the first, three in the second, four, three, four. That's how it's going to work out over the next couple of months. I just want, we're going to, I'm going to show this slide every week so that you can kind of put things in the right boxes. At least it's really helpful for me. Hopefully some of you find this to be helpful. And the first season was the first three sermons that we've already done. And I called this, in my own notes, I called this living in light of God's promises. I talked about the story, put the next slide, story was the first week we talked about the story that God is writing from Genesis chapter 37 verse 1, we went back to Genesis 12. Then I talked about family dysfunction and how the promises of God were sort of confronted by the family dysfunction of the family that God chose to fulfill those promises for. And then last week, Daniel talked about compromise and looked at Judah and Tamar and the way that they're just complete compromise in the face of What God had called them to do was a threat to God's promises, and yet the story continues, and we saw that Judah himself ends up being the one that leads to Jesus, right? So God is fulfilling his promises in the midst of all this chaos. So today we're starting a kind of mini-series inside here, a new season. This is going to be about the providence of God over the next three weeks, looking at Joseph, this first kind of half that happened in Canaan where Jacob and his family were living, these next three weeks they happen in Egypt and they focus on Joseph and his life. And that's the story that we just read that begins with this verse. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. There's a very clear scene transition here in the story. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him or bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So I want you to see as we look at the rest of this story sort of two interlocking storylines, two things that are happening in Genesis 39 that are patterns for how God works in our life and in our world now, okay? Two sort of things that are working together. And here's the first one, is that what you see here in Genesis 39 is God's providence accomplishing God's purposes. God's providence accomplishing God's purposes. Now, before I show you that in the text, I want to define Providence, if you've lived in Charlotte for like more than five minutes, a lot of things around here are named Providence, right? You probably drove on Providence Road to get here, right? You may have been or you may live, some of you, in Providence Plantation or any other number of subdivisions named by Providence or Providence High School or restaurants. You may find yourself in a restaurant called Napa on Providence. Like the word Providence is just everywhere in the city. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, The reason it's like that is because before Charlotte was what it is now, there were seven big Presbyterian churches that were here from the mid-1700s. And in 1767, Providence Presbyterian Church was founded. It's still here today, just north of 45. You've probably driven by a big, huge, white, really pretty church. Been around a very long time. There's seven Presbyterian churches. Presbyterianism denomination from Scotland. And the Presbyterians have a very long and very glorious history of emphasis on the providence of God. And they use the word providence all the time. And the founding document of the Presbyterian Church is called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I want you to hear how they describe what providence is. We'll go to them because they sort of have, I think, a trademark on this word. So here's what the Westminster Confession says about providence. It says, providence is the reality that God, the great creator of all things— upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest to the least by his most wise and holy providence. That God governs, he upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest to the least. That's the way that the Presbyterians define providence. There's another a uh, confession from the Reformation called the Heidelberg Catechism. And question 27 says, what is the providence of God? And I just love this. Listen to the way they describe it. What is the providence of God? The almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby as it were by his hand, <laughs> he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought. Fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yes, and all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. That's the definition of providence. Or you know, sovereignty is the idea that God has power, providence is the idea that God is using that power to move things in a particular direction. That's the providence of God. This is universal in all of the Reformed confessions. All of the, all of the Protestant confessions. Right? And this isn't the idea that God is like uh, Harry Potter with his wand and he kind of goes around and like makes things happen like with magic. That's just, like direct intervention. Sometimes we see God interact, we call that like supernatural intervention, where God comes down and waves his magic wand, as it were. Providence is more the idea that God is directing and governing all things indirectly. That he's in control of the weather. He's in control of the family that you grew up in. He's in control of the way that birds operate and the way that they run or don't run into planes, right? All of these things, every little thing is indirectly under the governance and control of God. And the idea is that God is the main actor in the world. That God is the primary cause of all things. And he does that in cooperation with all creation. Not against it, but in cooperation with. That's what we mean when we talk about providence. John Piper just released a book recently called, wait for it, Providence. Okay, He's, he's creative. Um, it's kind of his final book. It's like this thick, super crazy. Um, but if you want to learn more about providence, it's a good place to look. Providence is the idea that God governs and upholds everything. Now, Genesis 39. Listen carefully. Verse 2 And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. The Lord caused all that he did to succeed. At the end of the chapter, it says a similar thing, and I think it's in verse 23. Um, Whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Joseph's success, according to the author of Genesis, is a direct result of God's action. Again, not God as like Tinkerbell, right, (laughs) casting pixie dust on him, but God giving favor, bringing favor to everything that Joseph did, right? A casual observer would look at Joseph and sort of just see that Joseph seems to be doing well in life, but a theological observer will look and say, ah, that's the hand of God, that's the providence of God, bringing success, And Mike pointed out to me this week that this really smells a lot like Proverbs. It smells a lot like wisdom. And throughout the rest of the story, we'll see Joseph is portrayed as a very wise character. If you remember, we preached uh, through some Proverbs last summer. And here's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3. It says, "Let Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, bind them around your neck, Write them on the tablet of your heart. In other words, embrace God's wisdom and what will happen. You will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. What's happening to Joseph? He's finding favor and good success in the sight of God and man. What is Joseph doing? Joseph is being a wise person. He's really good at being human. <laughs> like, I think he was, made a, he was brought into the house because Potiphar's like, hey, this guy knows what he's doing. He's got good maintenance. He probably gets up early. He knows how to make coffee really well. He's a good slave to have around the house. He knows what he's doing. He's productive. He's organized. He makes good, productive, fruitful decisions. This is the thing that, that's happening. Joseph is being a wise person. He's living along the grain of God's world, and it, he's productive, and he's fruitful. And Potiphar sees his success, and he wants to get in on that action. He wants to get in on the blessing of God for Joseph. And the author tells us that we're supposed to interpret that as God giving favor to Joseph. We have to ask, why is God giving favor to Joseph? Last time we saw Joseph, he was in chapter 37. He was being a bratty little brother. Remember that? And Genesis 37 sort of implies that the reason that Joseph got sold into slavery was his own fault. Like, he was being a brat to his brothers. He was kind of being prideful. He was going around boasting about his dreams. And he kind of causes his own enslavement. And he finds himself in his own mess, With God blessing him, why would God do that to Joseph in this moment? It's not a reward for good behavior. Genesis 12. You knew I'd find a way to bring this up, right? Genesis 12, verse 3. What was the promise to Abraham? Through you, Abraham, and through your family, all families of the earth will be blessed. In Genesis 37 and 38, the question is, Is God's promise dead? This family is in chaos. God's promise to bless the earth through this family, it must be dead, right? It must be dead, yes? The family's terrible. Judah and Tamar, everything's a mess. God must be, like, he must have stepped out. He must be sleeping on the job. And then we get to Genesis 39, verse 5. I think this verse is amazing. I don't know if you've ever read this carefully before. From that time, Potiphar made Joseph the overseer in his house and over all that he had, and the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. This is amazing. This is God fulfilling his promise to Abraham right here in Egypt through Joseph. Why is God blessing Joseph? To fulfill his promises. Why is Joseph successful? Because God uses his providence to fulfill his purposes. This is amazing stuff right here. This is God doing what God does. God is quite comfortable in this moment blessing Joseph, fulfilling his promises, no matter what the humans are going to do in the story. God is going to fulfill his purposes. And I want to just invite you to stop and ponder your own life because we tend to think and assume that most of our success is our own doing, don't we? (laughs) Like when we are doing well, we're like, I must be pretty good at this. When we have success we tend to think to ourselves, well, I, I earned this. I deserve it. And it's worth considering, is God blessing you to accomplish his purposes? What might it look like to reinterpret your success in terms of God's desire to bless the world, not just you? But if we move on in the story, verse six, the winds in Joseph's fate seems to change, Right? Day after day, he's being chased by Potiphar's wife. He's had all the success; everything's going well. God has like paved his way in front of him. He's Rumplestiltskin, right? He's he can spin straw into gold. His master loves him, and now God's favor seems to disappear. And there's this picture in, in Proverbs of a woman seeking, an adulterous woman coming to seek after someone, and the proverbs say, "Hey, you need to resist that in order to find life." And Joseph's like, "I'm a wise person. I resist this to find life." And what happens? He gets thrown in prison. He does the right thing and the favor of God disappears. Proverbs, it's not working anymore. Ecclesiastes is what's happening to Joseph. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 15 says, In my life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Joseph did the right thing and instead he found death. Where's the blessing of God? Where's the favor of God? Where's the providence of God in this moment? This story, I think, is confronting us with this truth, is that God's providence is every bit as active in this moment as it was two verses ago. God is just as in control. He's just as much fulfilling his promises as he was when Joseph was having success. I think it's really hard for us to get our minds around like we think that God, is, God must be blessing us, he must be doing his purposes when things are going well, and when they go bad, we're like, oh no, where, where did God go? And this story's like, no, no, God's still right there. That's still his providence. We, we kind of think, well, Joseph was sent to prison to wait on God's provision, and then we have to realize that going to prison was God's provision. We you know the bigger story? Going to prison is the provision of God for Joseph. I don't know, do you know how profound that is? <laughs> and how to apply that to our own lives. We, ha- we need to grapple with this. I-, I want to challenge you to grapple with this because we-, we really don't embrace this. Like when things go badly for us, we assume God must not be there. Like someday later, God will come back and give his prov- provision again. And this story's like, no, that very hard thing that's happening to you, that, that may well very well- that may very well be God's actual provision for you and for the world. Something we need to grapple with. We've been told by well-meaning pastors and teachers and parents, that if you do right, you will get rewards. Sometimes we do right and we don't get rewards and that God is in that. He's in it. And I think there's an invitation in this to use our imagination. When when, When things are not going the way we expect, the way we hope, can we say, let's imagine what God might be doing here. We don't know. We don't have the benefit of our own lives being written down in the Bible so we can see the big picture and understand how God uses it. We're never gonna get that. So instead, we're called out by this story to use our imagination. Maybe God is in this in a way that I can't even fathom. What if we talked about that with each other? What if we got together and like, hey, this is really hard right now, and instead of just demanding that God take it away, although he invites us to ask him for that, what if we said, how might God be using this? Not what can I learn from this, but what might God be doing to bless the world in this moment? How might God be mysteriously at work bringing about his good purpose in this thing that's really, really hard? And the caution here is that God doesn't promise to like wrap up your storyline by the end of the episode. <laughs> that good thing that he's doing, it might not be for you. Not everything's about you. I don't know if you know that. Not everything's about you. You're, you know it's serialized TV dramas. This is why I love this illustration so much. Like characters pop in for an episode and then they disappear. Like what, you you watch a crime show and like the first 30 seconds, whoever you see in that first 30 seconds, they're gonna be dead by the second minute, right? They're, they always die. That person that you see, they always they always die. Maybe that's you. No, this sounds really sad, but that's God working a much bigger picture than just a happy ending for you and your story. He's working the restoration of the entire cosmos. He's inviting us to believe that he's doing that. Imagine God's providence in your life, in your success and in your failings. In seminary, I was assigned this passage to write my very first sermon on, Genesis 39. So after I finished writing this sermon, I went back and I read, what I had written, and it was not super impressive. But <laughs> much of what I have just said was there in some form or fashion, and that was the end. This was the end of the sermon that I wrote. And that's fine. If I just if I said, this is it, and we went home, that'd be a fine sermon. God's providence is at work. He's restoring the world. Can you believe that? That's great. It's true. It's helpful. It's from the story. It'd be a good sermon. But, it, but there's a better sermon here because there's another interlocking storyline going on here that Tara already preached for us at the beginning. God's providence is accomplishing his purposes, but in the meantime, God's presence is proving his goodness. Proving that his purposes are good through his presence. Verse 2 says, The Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3 says, his master saw that the Lord was with him after he goes to prison, but the Lord, in verse 21, was with Joseph. The Lord was with him in verse 23. God was not just standing off on the sidelines directing things, he was with Joseph, with his presence in the midst of whatever providence you find yourself in, whether that's great success, verses one, two, three, four, five, and six, or whether everything is just going wrong, horribly wrong, there's a call to believe that that's God's providence, but it's not a call from God standing over there, it's a call from God standing right next to you, saying, I'm right here. All right, this is part of, you could argue probably that this God-withness is the theme of the entire Bible. God was with Abraham, and then listen to just these verses. This is to Isaac. God says to Isaac, go to this land over there, and I will be with you, and I will bless you, and I will establish the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. Next generation, Jacob, Genesis 31. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. After Joseph, they're in, in they're, stuck in Egypt and they got to get out and God chooses Moses and what does he say to Moses? Moses is like, hey, I can't go. And God's like, but I will be with you and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. They get out, they all die in the wilderness. God selects Joshua to send them into the promised land. Joshua 1, verse five. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. See, God's providence to accomplish his purpose is always accompanied by his presence. Lest you just think that's an Old Testament thing, right? Emmanuel means God with us. John 1 says, And the word became man and dwelt with us. Jesus says in John, I will send the Holy Spirit to be with you. Jesus says in Matthew 28, go to the ends of the earth and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. God's not standing at a distance, sort of just running roughshod over human beings. He's in it with us while he works his good purposes that we don't understand. It's like a doctor says to a patient, right, I'll be with you the whole time. <laughs> this is going to hurt a lot but I'm gonna be with you the whole time. Jesus is the great expansion and the permanence of God's presence with people in the world, with you and with me. Then in the Old Testament, God's presence came and went. That's why David prays in Psalm 51, don't take your presence from me. The New Testament tells us that God is with each of us permanently. The The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. two points of application. I think this story is saying, look, you're not gonna understand what happens to you. Like, you're you're just not. (laughs) Just give up. Give up understanding. Give up seeking to understand all the parts of it, all the dark, confusing, frustrating, scary parts of it. But I'm gonna be right here. I'm gonna be right here. God's providence is varied their There are blessings and there are difficult providences. There are terrible providences. But God does not rule the world with some kind of raw power. He's not just throwing humans aside and like telling us to sit down and shut up about it. He is right there with us saying, I'm in this with you, walking in this providence, and I will give you the strength that you need. And everything that I cause and everything that I allow, God says, it's in service to my good purposes to bless the nations and restore all things. So I want you to be comforted by that. Take comfort in that. No matter what your providence is, whether it's a success providence or whether it's an Ecclesiastes providence, take comfort in God's presence. All right, my kids have been having a lot of bad dreams, and what do they do? They run into my room and they say, hey, will you come be with me? You know how comforting physical presence is to a child? That's the image that's the image, that's why the Heidelberg says that God directs all things by his fatherly hand. It's the presence and the comfort of God. But the other thing I want to encourage you to do is to refuse to correlate God's favor with your own success. You get what I'm saying? We tend to think God's with me when I succeed, God's not with me when I fail. That's just, this story just says, that's just not true. It's just simply not true. And if you read the Bible, you're like, this is absolutely not true. God, if you loved me, you would give me X. You would do X. You would bring me success in this way. And God's like, no, no, no. I know better than you. I'm right here. Just trust me. I'm right here. God's, he's not promised to tie up your subplot with a nice, neat bow. He has promised to be with you and to restore all things. You can, you can take that to the bank. Heidelberg catechism question 28 it's the question after they define providence listen to this what advantage is it to know that god has created and by his providence does still uphold all things what advantage is it that we may be patient in adversity thankful in prosperity and that in all things which may hereafter befall us We place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father. That nothing shall separate us from his love. Since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you'd give us that patience in adversity. That thankfulness, when we have success, you'd give give us the ability to imagine, to believe, to hope that no matter what providence we face, no matter what circumstance comes our way, that you uh, are in it with us, and you are working everything for the renewal of the world pray that you give us joy in it, that it would fuel our, uh, our days as we struggle through darkness and difficulty, as we enjoy great success and favor, that on both days that you would be um, reminding us of your presence. We pray now, as we do each week, that as we come to worship, as we gather, as we offer our whole selves to you, that you would bless our offerings that you'd use them for your kingdom. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.